It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. From the grassroots to the elite, from the juniors to the pros, covering the Aussies trekking the globes to the champions internationally. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, your open space specialists. GLG, celebrating 25 years of industry expertise and exceptional service. Find out more at glgcorp.com. The first serve, it is your uh, home of tennis uh, here on this uh, Tuesday night. And, of course, tonight, the uh, tennis reality as it sits globally as we go inside the uh, New York bubble ahead of the much-discussed should it or should it not happen US Open. And closer to home, the ongoing debate about the structure of tennis here in Australia. More on that to come a little bit later on uh, this hour. We're doing the show remotely as we have been. Brett Phillips, alongside the 2015 Newcomb medalist and the man, with the fastest serve, we have communication. Sam Groth, welcome, Grothy. BP, the challenges, isn't it? The challenges of a, of a COVID reality. We're here on radio, we're working, we finally got ours. It was a bit of a nervous wait there for a couple of minutes for us tonight if we were going to be up and running with audio. Good to be here. Obviously yeah. still in lockdown, but great to see players heading towards New York. Obviously, it's exactly what the sport needed with everything else going on globally to get everyone in one place, well, almost everyone, Yep. They're ready for a Grand Slam tournament. I can't believe uh, the week has actually arrived, uh, Sam. I feel like we've been talking about this for an eternity. Uh, the US Open, Cincinnati, so much discussion around the protocols, the bubble, who's going to go, who's not going to go. But, gee, uh, Christopher Clary, a great writer for the New York Times. We had him on the show a couple of weeks ago. It'll be the most unusual US Open in history. It'll have the weakest field of the top 10 women in history, with Simona Halep uh, confirming her withdrawal yesterday. Uh, to add to, obviously, Ash Barty and a, and a plethora of uh, women at the top of the game, including Alina Svitolina, Bianca Andrescu, the defending champion, uh, Kiki Burtons and uh, Belinda Bencic inside that top 10. Yeah, I mean, obviously, everyone has their own feeling about whether you should or shouldn't be out playing tennis right now and how they're going to handle this bio bubble in New York, obviously, with the Western and Southern Open leading into the US Open. You know, I fully commend everyone who's gone to New York and, and made the effort to be at these events and try and get our sport up and running. Obviously, the people that haven't uh, decided to go, it's their uh, prerogative. They can do what they like. We've obviously seen Nick Kyrgios not going from an Australian point of view, as well as Ash Barty, who both announced about a week or so ago. But, you know, I, I fully give credit to everyone who's gone there, but I guess we're all still waiting with bated breath, aren't we, to see how the event goes and how the bubble holds up and, you know, will there be cases amongst the playing group or the support staff? I guess that's what we're all waiting for now. How does that event hold together? Well, we're going to go inside the bubble uh, very shortly because you and I had a, a great chat with uh, John Pierce uh, earlier today. So more on that in, in just a tick. So we've mentioned, obviously, Barty not playing. Halep, Svitolina, Andrescu, Burtons and Bencic inside their top 10. Uh, Stritseva, Kuznetsova, the number 31, 32 seeds. 
Shay Suwei, of course, uh, with her uh, very unique uh, style of tennis from Chinese Taipei out of the tournament. Uh, there's a number of others uh, lower ranked. And, of course, we said on the show last week that Priscilla Hon wouldn't be going. She's officially confirmed that with her withdrawal, that injury she picked up at the UTR. Yeah. But this is the, the benefit of being an alternate sometimes, Grothy, is that you get to... You get to live your dream, and there's plenty who are on that alternate list originally who are now stepped up to take a place in the main draw. So one uh, decision not to go and compete there is going to be someone else's opportunity, and it is an opportunity for these players that you know would have normally been playing qualifying at this event. Obviously, there's a lot of players who've missed out on qualifying, and we fear for them, and there's going to be support for them financially out of the US Open. But for the players that are around that 120 or so mark, 130 as, as the withdrawals start to come, what an opportunity for those players to take their place automatically in a main draw tournament at a Grand Slam. Huge, huge chance for those players. Cincinnati, of course, is the precursor. So uh, the 15th of August, the bubble opened. A lot of the players arriving from all over the globe. We know from an Australian perspective, Jordan Thompson will be in qualies uh, this week. So there's been quite a number of withdrawals from the qualifying tournament, including uh, James Duckworth, uh, Grothy, sort of been on top of that today. He's been playing some matches up at the uh, UTR in Brisbane, preferring to get some matches under his belt rather than maybe go to Qualies. Chance you might get knocked out early. You're sitting in New York for a few days and he's opted to try and get a few games under his belt. Yeah, obviously we saw the withdrawal you pointed out to me earlier. We did a little, little bit of chasing up. I think for him, if he can get some guaranteed matches, we had spoken about why players at that at that top sort of level hadn't maybe taken a few more of those playing opportunities. So he's he's gone down that route, tried to or trying to get some matches, obviously in Brisbane before he makes the trip over. As you said, it's risky. You go to Cincinnati, you maybe play yeah. one match, you sit around for ten days, obviously practice, but without having had matches for so long. We talk about like the last time we saw tennis played personally, we were at Davis Cup yeah. in Adelaide, and that was the last time what these guys. Got, it, I mean, I, I would love to go somewhere. I don't remember the last time I left the house, <laughs> let alone when a tennis tournament was. But exactly. yeah, I mean, I, I think obviously you know, matches are uh, key right now. It's going to mm. be very different playing in Brisbane in a UTR to playing best of five at a Grand Slam. But he's gone down that route, so you know, wish him the best of luck yeah. when he makes the trip over. Absolutely. So Chris O'Connell's about eight back in the alternates. Mark Polman's Alex Bolt uh, also, uh, you know, quite some way back. So they're going to need a lot of withdrawals to get in. Milman and Demonor will play main draw. Cincinnati, as we know, on the women's side, uh, Tom Lianovich will be in qualies. Uh, John Pierce, we're about to hear from, uh, teaming up with Michael Venus in the men's doubles, and of course the Australian Open runners-up this year, Max Purcell and Luke Seville, uh, flew over and have signed on on site, Grothy. Yeah, so they've gone over, made the trip. They didn't pre-enter in. They would have gotten in. So I wasn't sure why they didn't make that decision to enter prior, but they've gone, signed in on site. Uh, I think 16 or five or six teams can do that at a Masters Series event. So they've taken that opportunity to try to also, you know, have a, have a great run a week before a Grand Slam because I know they'd be dying to follow up that performance that they produced in Melbourne. Absolutely. Now, there is some talk around, uh, Grothy, of maybe the players getting a, a one-time waiver that they can actually support some of their social justice causes on their shirt, jacket, hat or shoes, subject to approval by the USTA. So obviously yep. a lot of sports people have been behind the Black Lives Matter and you know other causes around the world. So the USTA is um, going to allow that for uh, this very unique US Open. Yeah, I think it's great for the players that want to show their support outwardly to these causes. Obviously, it's been a big discussion in recent times. For me personally, I'm a huge F1 fan. We see all of those drivers at the start of every race 
um, doing their bit for racial equality and justice. We see it in the NBA, uh, everyone on the bench wearing the Black Lives Matter shirts and yep. a message on the back of their jerseys. So, you know, good initiative from the US Open and the USDA to give the players that opportunity if they want to voice that opinion and that support. Absolutely, yeah. So there has been some tennis played in the last week. We know the women have been back for a couple of weeks. Yeah, Jennifer Brady, the American who has been rising in the women's game and been around that fourth round mark at a couple of the slams. Uh, she won in uh, Lexington, a field that included Serena Williams. So Serena got a couple of games under her belt. Coco Goff, who we know is going to be, well, she's you know, a young star already and is you know no doubt going to climb to the higher echelons of women's tennis. She uh, went fairly deep and Simona Halep won Prague and then decided basically 24 hours later and made the decision we all thought she was probably going to make and, and stay in Europe. Yeah, I mean, I think that decision was well and truly made before she finished playing in Prague. You look at Jennifer Brady, though. We had Carla Silver on last week from World Team Tennis. Obviously, she played that full season, yeah. so came out of that, I guess, three-week World Team Tennis bubble absolutely firing to win her first title, so a huge effort. And she has big wraps on her in the U.S., big hitting, big ball striker. It's got to give her confidence going into this New York swing. There's a couple of challenges going on this week in the Czech Republic and Italy. And interestingly, they'll be pretty uh, wrapped in, I think, the Czech Republic where the three-time Grand Slam champion, <laughs> Stan Vavrinka, uh, signed up. But... Grothy, can I ask you, do you do you agree that that should be maybe allowed to happen, uh, considering that he takes a spot of a player who would normally maybe be playing the Challenger event, who's been starved of playing tennis for about six months? I mean, the tournament's not going to say no. Stan puts his yeah. hand up. What a draw card to have. And it's very rare that we're going to see him playing challengers these days. But do you agree with that philosophically? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? We've seen challenger events, for example, on the back of or that middle week of Indian Wells, uh, where players have taken wild cards and gone and played an event to try to get more matches in between. I think if you're pulling out of a Masters 1000 and a US Open, though, should you be able to go and play a challenger event? Obviously, everyone wants to play right now. There's guys mm. who've waited all year, like the guys who are going to get the opportunity in the, well, the now Cincinnati New York event and then the US Open. But there's a players who are at that lower level, who haven't got that opportunity, yeah. who want to play matches, who haven't had an income, and you've got a guy that's won three Grand Slams that's inside, what, the world's top 30? I ha haven't looked at his exact ranking. But yeah, he's, yeah. taking a spot of a player who's maybe won 50, who hasn't been able to play tennis for six months, it, it's mm. an interesting one, isn't it? I, I'm not sure it should be as great as it is for the event and great to see tennis back. I'm not sure it's the best thing when you've got a level of tournament that is supposed to be pl helping players rise up. Yeah, that was my first thought when I was uh, looking at it. And how about this? Now, we know the great finish on the weekend in the footy, for those who might be listening, uh, outside of the footy bubble, uh, Fremantle and Carlton. I go on social media on the weekend. <laughs> who comments? John Isner, the big American. Now, I don't know if he became good buddies with Aaron Sandilands when he was at the Dockers, but his comment on the Freo loss ruined the game joke. Three no, he, exclamation marks regarding the umpiring. He's been a Freo supporter for a long time. Every time I see him, he, how how are the darkers going is what I get out of John every time. So <laughs> I actually don't know. I did ask him one time, but I can't remember what he said, what his connection was there. But he's been a Freo Dockers supporter for a long time, the big man. There you go. Uh, it was great to see Johnny just pop up. Uh, a swathe of social media going on uh, late Saturday night. I reckon what we might do is squeeze in an early break because we're going to come back and head across to uh, New York. We caught up with John Pierce in the bubble earlier today to get his take. He's on the ground, he's experienced it, so we'll have a chat to Piercey. And also, we're going to chat the game domestically tonight with a very special guest, a very passionate tennis voice. You can keep up to date with the world of tennis via our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Go back and listen to all our past live shows. 
uh, Aussies only across the weekend featuring the big Tasmanian Harry Bouchier crunching the numbers in the huddle produced by Study and Play USA. You're listening to The First Serve. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. GLGCorp.com. Welcome back to the first serve on this uh, Tuesday night. It's uh, great to have your company. Brett Phillips alongside Sam Groth. We're here thanks to Top Agents Real Estate servicing all of Melbourne. If you live here or looking to move to uh, beautiful Melbourne, maybe after uh, stage three, stage four, when we get back to normal, uh, looking to buy, rent, sell, have their property investment managed, make contact with David and his team. I'd love to take your call, 9558-4599 or top-agents.com. .au. Well, Grothy, our first guest tonight is a Grand Slam doubles champion at the Australian Open, a two-time ATP year-end finals champion. He's been ranked as high as world number two in men's doubles. A Victorian from a uh, great tennis family, but he's been residing in Perth for a little while now. And he's one of many Aussies who have made their way to New York to enter the bubble with Cincinnati to start later this week, followed by the US Open. And uh, Sam and I caught up with John Pierce, uh, Monday night, New York time, with his feet firmly on the ground for a day or so to get his impressions. Even from the word go, once we got to the airport, getting checks to leave the country, getting given a face shield as well as a face mask to wear on the flight. And then once we got here, just straight into the bubble and you get tested straight away. And then from there, you got to wait for your results. Sometimes it takes 12 hours. Sometimes it took for quite a few of us, like about 26, 27 hours for us today. And then a quick scramble to try and get a practice court that evening. So we got last bus to the courts, last bus from the courts back to the hotel. And yeah, so it's been a sort of a long wait today, sort of just to wait for the results to come back to make sure we can go practice. Obviously, we're not in tournament mode yet. We're in prep mode. So we haven't got any fans inside. That's not going to happen even during the event. But what's the feeling like on site? What feels different to you? What's noticeably the changes that, that have been made by the event to make this happen? Oh, the biggest thing is just all the precautions of social distancing, everyone wearing a mask all the time. Any public areas now, they've started to set up and have something for the players, but everything's very much distance out. Like, I mean, I went to the gym just after practice today at the hotel, but I mean, there's four metres between each bike and between each piece of gym equipment. So at the end of the day, everyone's just sort of sticking to themselves and trying to be as safe as they can because we know it takes everyone to do it and takes a big effort from everyone and not just from the players, all the support staff, everyone's setting up to be able to do it. But as you said, it feels very much like pre-tournament mode because there's no fans there. I think it's going to be very different once tournament mode comes into play because the atmosphere just won't be there. So that's going to be the really interesting part to see how we can get going with that. Izzy, were you always going to be a starter? Take us through your decision-making process to decide, yep, I'm, I'm going to go to New York. Uh, not really. I mean, it's just been a slow build-up, to be honest with you. And then seeing the other sports unfold and see how they handled it all, seeing the way a few of the golfers that actually came from Perth came and played an event, like Jason Scrivener played an event in the States, then flew to Europe. So I was just trying to get as much info as I can from the guys that were having to do exactly what, what we're trying to do now. And at the end of the day, it was good to see World Team Tennis get through it pretty much unscathed, and they did a great job with it, and they went from city to city. So, And it was good to see the numbers in New York pretty much get on top of it. And at the end of the day, we had to start at some point. Who knows whether they get more play in past US Open time? 
one once we get to Europe. But at this stage, yeah, it's full steam ahead here for Cincinnati and New York. Has that been the feeling amongst the players? You mentioned there's a real collective effort. And right now, you know, we saw some events didn't quite do it right. You mentioned World Team Tennis. We had Carlos Silver on last week. They did a really good job. Is there that feeling amongst the players that everyone's in this together and there's that understanding of everyone that they have to do the right thing and it's on each and every person? Because it's only going to take one to make a mistake to bring such a big event down. Correct. And I think... I think it's always after seeing those events happen globally and seeing what can happen if you don't social distance especially when you have so many come from different countries around the world I think that's the biggest challenge for everyone involved and I just hope we can all play our part and not just get mindful of what we're used to and get into old habits of what the old norms were whether we like it or not now it's a new normal and it's probably going to be that way for a while the way we're going to go about sport and the way we're going to go about any big event globally to be honest with you so yeah it's going to be an interesting one moving forward especially when the when we start to get into the actual teeth of the event and see the way it actually all works but majority of the courts are set up with uh, the live Hawkeye so they'll be limited if any linesmen on court so yeah there's going to be quite a few changes which we're going to have to get used to but at the end of the day it's evolving it's good to see tennis back in the forefront of everyone's minds yeah it certainly is the tennis the sport needed to come back we're seeing everything else on the globe happening golf and NBA and the baseball everything in the US is up and running it's a long way off yet but when you look at the situation and you've only just started experiencing what's happening in New York obviously a lot of conversation has been around this five stage scenario for an Australian Open come January and knowing how well Craig Tyler and his team operates anyway for the players and getting things done is what you're seeing in New York a confidence builder that we're going to have an Australian Open come January as well? well I think we can certainly put on an event I think at the end of the day if we can get on top of it in Victoria and New South Wales there's no reason why we can't have an event. I think it's more coming down to whether the government's going to allow this many players and support staff and anyone else who's coming in for the event to actually be able to host the event because the numbers that it takes to host the event is quite large. So I think that's going to be the bigger contributing factor. But I think we need to get it right in Australia first before we can have the event. Fingers crossed we can have more of a season, but at least Australian Open's not meant to be played in when the grand final AFL's on. So we've got a chance and a few more months up our sleeve to try and figure it out and see what unfolds because as we've seen week to week, month to month, things change things move quickly whether it goes the right way or the wrong way so fingers crossed we can start going down the right path and they can be real positive signs for the Aussie Open I was reading John Millman's comments on Twitter this morning and you know he was pretty skeptical did a lot of media leading up and wasn't sure at the end of the day well it was a chance to get back and do what he does for a living and, and earn some money again but he's paid a lot of compliments to the USTA just with the amount of withdrawals and there certainly is more on the women's side are you may be surprised busy that more people haven't had maybe enough faith I mean, you're either one way or the other. There's the risk takers who go, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to back in the information I'm being told. There are those who, gee, I've got to start earning an income again. And those who are just adamant, I'm not going to the US. I'm just not even thinking about it. Are you surprised maybe that more haven't had maybe faith in the USTA that they were going to bend over backwards to make sure that this was going to be totally safe? No, I think at the end of the day, USTA has done an amazing job to get the event up and running. And I mean, we've had quite a few calls, information told and spoken to us from the tour and the USTA about how much they're doing to be able to host the event. When you start reading through what they're actually doing and the protocols they've got in place, it's quite amazing to see that we've actually got the event up and running for all of us to be able to fly in from all over the world to be able to come and host the US Open. And I think the biggest challenge for a lot of us is not not necessarily when we got here, it was actually getting here. That's probably the more nervous factor once you actually leave your little bubble from where we were. I mean, I was lucky enough to be in Perth and pretty much back to a new norm and we hadn't really had to worry about it too much or any community transmissions for a long time. So it was always going to be nerve-wracking 
leaving wherever your home was or wherever you're basing yourself during this time. And yeah, I think the travel from city to city is probably going to be the toughest point, not actually hosting the event once you get to the city because it should be a little simpler with all the protocols that are going to be in place. Piersy, you can probably relate to this. BP, sitting in player meetings, there's always players who have their own agenda and there's also those ones that always have the best interests of moving the tour forward. Obviously, when you're on tour, you're there for a relatively short time in terms of how tennis is going to be as a sport long term. And there's always those players who, you know, they want what's best for right now without looking for the longevity of the game. And I think sometimes the players right now, you needed players to go to this event to get tennis back up and running. I've been saying it for weeks. Tennis needs to come back. It's losing eyes on it as a sport when all these other things in the world are happening. So I give full credit to everyone that's made the effort to go there to the USDA, to the US Open, because we need this back up and running again. And I, I do. I, I, it was great that Milman changed his tune. And I saw that tweet as well. So full credit to everyone and to the players there that see this as being more than just the US Open because we do need the sport back. No, I certainly agree. And I think we've done a great job to be able to get back to have a Masters event in the US Open so quickly, especially on a global scale with tennis is one of the sports where you have a lot more countries involved where people have got to fly in from. And I think it's a credit to also John Milman to see how he's changed his tune and showing USDA is actually doing a really good job and bending over backwards and trying to accommodate everything. And at the end of the day, if you put in requests in that are reasonable, to be able to make things happen which are justifiable, they're actually like, yes, we'll do what we can to make it happen and actually make it the best event that we can possibly do under these circumstances. And to get tennis up and running and back on the TV should be a lot more fun and also great because there's so many other sports going, as you said. Hey, Piersy, it's, it's going to be a challenge. You're stuck in a hotel room when you're not on site. Is it true you guys got, what, fairly large chunk Uber Eats voucher to be able to get food and everything and the things that you're going to need when you're not on site? I haven't seen that Uber Eats voucher. I'd love to see it. But uh, no, I mean, at the end of the day, as you know, you can spend a fair chunk of time at the courts when you go to the courts. By the time you warm up, you do your gym, you go on court, you do your cool down after. I mean, there's half after three quarters of a day gone without batting an eyelid and then either side of that you do what you need to do to get ready to get going but I hope that Uber Eats actually comes it'd be a nice little treat from uh, the USCA but now at the moment you just sort of get in a routine and I think that's at the end of the day we're all going to get used to and it's going to be tough when you go from city to city and you're used to actually going out to your favorite restaurant when you get there or visiting people you haven't seen there for 12 months and you're not allowed to actually even see them so that's going to be a tougher point I think for a lot of people and it'll be different for different people in different cities but so far I'm only been probably what just stay in a bit so maybe ask me in a week or so we'll see how we're going <laughs> when we do get down to business on court i mean you entered this year into a new partnership with michael venus you guys won in dubai and come to the davis cup and then it's tour stops for the last six months or so tell us what communication you guys have had just your impressions of the early part of the year together obviously you've known each other for a long time and what the expectations are now that you're going to resume yeah most certainly i mean we started the year off probably not as uh, well as what we'd like but we ended up getting after Aussie when went to London straight away we got some work done played Rotterdam decided to take a training week before Dubai and really just had a chance to spend a lot more time on the same side of the net and just voice different things out and just get comfortable with each other on the same side of the net and understand what each other wants and also likes to do at certain moments and for that it sort of showed us in Dubai how well we can start to get going it was sort of a bit of a shame we expected to get at least one or two masters under the belt after Davis Cup because we sort of felt as though we had a lot of confidence going forward and we had a bit of momentum which was nice so I think yeah it's going to be an interesting time coming up it's going to be like probably this is the longest time any tennis guys probably had off all, all the girls so it's going to be interesting to see how it starts back up also to see how quickly guys and girls can get back into the match frame of mind because at the end of the day it's not it's not just about practicing it's how you switch on at the start I mean we're used to seeing some upsets at the Aussie summer and now we've 
probably, what, tripled or quadrupled that time length compared to what everyone normally has. So, no, it's going to be interesting. I think it's pretty much a fresh start for everyone. There's no real momentum you had it from the start of the year. It's, okay, you've had your off-season. How quickly can you switch back on? I asked that question of Alex Dimonor oh, a long time ago since we had him on here now, BP. Do you think we will see that? More upsets with people having not had that match play? Do we have the chance? I mean, I know Novak on the men's side is going to go in as a red-hot favourite no matter what, especially without a lot of those, you know, no Rafa, no Roger. Do we think we're a chance to see someone else light it up or, or make a deep run with this extended break that we've had? I think most certainly. I mean, the, the break's going to have done wonders for some guys and girls, but also it's going to turn to others that may have struggled a bit. So it's going to be interesting to see how long it takes everyone to get back into the swing of things. And I think, as you know, after you, it's always that unknown factor if you haven't played matches at a high level for quite a while to see how you go straight away. Sometimes you get straight in the swing of things straight away or other times you have a couple of shockers and you get going or you end up sneaking out of a couple of matches early then the confidence gets going so I, I think certainly there's always more so than ever now there's going to be some interesting results in the first couple of rounds especially. John Pierce so having a chat to us uh, earlier today he had a fairly civilised day I think he was about to hit the pillow pretty quickly after that uh, Grothy he'd been up for a while after a long flight over to uh, New York, just to give us a little feel of life on the ground at the US Open. It will be strange. Once competition starts to have no crowds, no atmosphere, it'll be very different for the players. But right now it feels quite normal because they're preparing three or four days out. Well, it normally is a ghost town prior to the event. Obviously, at a slam, you normally would have the qualifying event running for that full week prior but when you go to an ATP event, if you're there three or four days before, quite often the player lounge is not even set up. So it is going to be weird once you step onto a match court. You know, again, no line judges. You know, all these things that are going to be so different. Yep. You know, but I think the positive thing is that all the reports coming out of there with the players that are there, I haven't heard anything negative yet. Really doing everything they can to make this work. We're going to squeeze in a break. Uh, Yarra Tennis Coaching, Melbourne's award-winning coaching program has been at Eagle Mont Tennis Club since 2002. Shane Scrutton and his team do a beautiful job. Discover more by logging on to yarratennis.com.au. Focused uh, globally, we'll uh, focus on affairs closer to home next here on The First Serve. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. glgcorp.com. Welcome back to the first serve. It is your home of tennis here on this uh, Tuesday night. Brett Phillips and uh, Sam Groth with you again uh, this week. We're uh, remote. We can see each other. Uh, we've had a couple of glitches, but we're all uh, good to hear uh, tonight. Let's go to zero on things uh, close to home. The first serve is a voice for all uh, covering the game from the grassroots to the elite. And there are many stakeholders in tennis, as we know, boards, administrators, players, coaches, parents, uh, volunteers, officials, and more. And over the last you know, six months since COVID struck, we've spent quite a bit of time on this show discussing and dissecting the game, where it sits globally and domestically with its structure and status. And for a big sport like uh, tennis globally, there are many views and opinions. With the break in regular programming this year, it's actually allowed us to delve a little deeper into our own backyard here. We've highlighted and discussed the Tennis Australia Performance Review. We've spoken to the people central to that within the governing body and outside of it. We are independent here on the first serve. And whilst, yes, I'm employed by Tennis Australia for a month a year around the summer of tennis, I'm very thankful and appreciative of that and love that role. I'm certainly not a part of the TA organisation. I'm also not at the coalface of the sport at grassroots level either, which is a big component of any sport. Now, I talk to many people inside Tennis Australia and outside, as you know, you do 
Grothy on air as you hear on this show. We bring you all the, the candid chats that we can. And there are some off-air discussions that I have across um, a lot of different people, you know, getting lots of different opinions from across the country because I'm actually interested. And this is a great forum to have a constructive conversation about it. The governing body of any sport will always have its critics and its detractors. I mean, we filled with footy news and the AFL getting pulled apart on a daily basis here on the SEN. People on the outside are always probably thinking they can do a better job than those on the inside. Now, you could turn around and say, well, that is normal and that you can't please everyone, and you're certainly right. But what I want to understand, is it actually justified at all? And on Facebook, there's a group called the Australian Tennis Community. It actually has 3,910 members. You have to be approved to be a member. I read this quite frequently because I want to actually feel the temperature of people who are very passionate about the sport of tennis and how they are feeling about their sport who uh, who live and breathe it on a day-to-day basis. And these comments actually jumped out at me last week. This has been a deliberate scheme over the last 30 to 40 years by Tennis Australia admin to starve grassroots tennis into submission and turn tennis into a business under their control. Lack of prize money and politically manipulated elite training programs, control of member states by paying TA-controlled staff to manage tennis. The profits of the AO were meant to be distributed by our constitution to its states and regions. However, these profits have been manipulated to gain control of tennis through paying staff and therefore not spent on the game of tennis itself. This process has seen most of our uh, post-juniors leave our game in droves. These juniors very rarely involve their children in tennis. Thus, every year for the past 40 years, our game has deteriorated. The staff are supposed to work for our state and national boards, but the tail wags the dog. Thus, we have an administration of more than 700 full-time employees controlling a game meant to be a sport, not a business. Tennis is suffering a Chinese water torture, and we need to run our own tennis and band together for the sake of our future players and our sport. Now, that post, as part of that group, got about 85 comments attached to it. The post was written by Bill McDonald. Now, I've invited Bill to come on the show tonight because I'm interested to hear what people at the coalface of the game have got to say, and we have a platform here on radio every week. Bill has been a coach for a long time, travelling around the country for 30-plus years. Bill, uh, really appreciate you coming on the first serve. Thanks, Brad. We probably need an hour with you. We haven't got an hour, so we're going to try and succinct this in about 10 minutes or so. But you and, and many others, and I read this forum regularly, and what, what I get out of it is that those outside of the governing body, and I don't know, Bill, you can probably put a more precise figure on it, there just seems to be, reading between the lines and people's comments, a lot of disenchanted people that tennis isn't maximising itself the way it should in this country. Does that sum it up? Oh, definitely. Most definitely. I've travelled the length and breadth of Australia for the past 30 years, going to tennis tournaments every week. I know all the people, all the officials... All the players, all the people who every year for the last that time leave tennis about 16 years, they've all been in a very expensive game with coaching, tournament fees, restrings, travel, accommodation, meals, etc. This is the realm of grassroots tennis, the tennis tournaments. TA staff are very rarely at any of these events, but they run all these events and they also put a levy on entry fees they can probably say that's because they run it. But last year, I've just been reading their annual reports and I'm here speaking for all the people. I'm speaking for thousands of people. There'll be very many people listening to this show tonight. Okay, grassroots tennis 
is facing a life and death struggle against Tennis Australia. There is no bones about that. So you're saying that Tennis Australia is the issue with keeping more people in well, the game. Is that what you're saying is the issue? Most definitely. This is nothing personal, but this is the policies. This is their policies, okay? They are promoting a business. They openly say they're a prisoners, they're a company. They tell everybody, okay? And they, the last thing they spend money on is tennis. According to the TA annual report, there was $387 million revenue in that, that year. That same year, I, I looked at their AMT prize money, $860,000, and ITF events, $1,025,000 US dollars. Now, this money, in the main, is put up by grassroots tennis, not Tennis Australia. Tennis Australia mainly spends money on controlling tennis. We do not have the luxury of a country like, like France, where the tennis administration there works famously with all grassroots and the tournament there, all the tournaments they have there, the tournament programs are renowned worldwide and people from all over the world go to their tournaments. Okay, now grassroots tennis is about tennis. Okay, that's what it's all about. Clubs, regions, associations. There is much more now and tennis know-how in all these places than there ever is in all the people who work at Tennis Australia put together because most of the people who work at Tennis Australia are not tennis people. So constantly, and also the board. Tennis is a, has a great history, Australian tennis, world-famous tennis of all great players, Rod Laver, etc., etc. Okay, I think the boards used to have tennis people on the boards. They don't have them anymore. I know a few people who have real dyed-in-the-ball tennis people. There's no room for them on the board because tennis is not on the agenda. So, Bill, I'm going to stop you there for one second because I, I completely understand what you're saying. You know, I've known you for, for a very long time, since I was 12 years of age, so we have a, a long history going back. But... I understand what you're saying. Whether you reflect thousands of people's opinion, I, I can guarantee you it's not my opinion. I'm going to touch on a couple of things that you've just mentioned. You mentioned uh, grassroots level. You know, Tennis Australia, they have the Racket Roadshow, and with ANZ, they've given out 170,000 rackets, and they're trying to link kids from schools back to you as a coach. And you mentioned the board situation, that there's no tennis people on it. Well, the board situation in sports in Australia was actually driven by the Australian Sports Commission and the federal government a little while back, and it was agreed to by the member associations like Tennis New South Wales that there'd be an independence on the Tennis Australia board so that Tennis Australia actually wouldn't have that power. Were you aware of that? Well, Tennis Australia pays all the wages of all the people who run the states. Tennis New South Wales, Tennis Queensland, every state, all the wages, they're all paid for by staff. And nearly all those other boards there are also have a lot of corporate people on them and also people who, who really don't go to tennis. They might be social tennis player, and I say. But tennis people who are really passionate about tennis there is no room for them in tennis anymore. There is no room for me in tennis anywhere, except for what I do, whichever way I can. You've sent me a lot of notes in the last few days. I've read a lot of posts. I can certainly understand where you're coming from. You know, I talk to a lot of people, and a lot of people say to me there is a bit of a disconnect between Tennis Australia and the grassroots. I mean, that's been said of the yeah. AFL and, and grassroots uh, across a large number of years. So we can debate that till the cows come home. But, Bill, what's the solution in your eyes to making tennis flourish to its full capacity in this country with the pathway 16 plus we've gone through chatting about this australian tennis performance review but what's the ideal structure of tennis in this country going back to 2018 and 19 okay amt tournaments 
$860,000 prize money and over a million dollars for the grassroots provide all that, okay? So the money is not being spent on tennis. They can say they're spending it on tennis, but they're spending it on administration of tennis. They're spending it on taking over tennis. There's so many people with so many complaints from all their affiliates and everything about they're being told how to run the comps they've been running for, for donkey's years and they've been told to, to change their rules and have different formats and all this sort of stuff. The Tennis Australia is trying to make one cat bit tall. But anyway, I've got a much more important thing to talk about tonight. I want to promote a $30 million prize money program for AMTs, state, national and club teams events annually in Australia. Funding direction of TA board and policy needs to change. Otherwise, tennis... What's the point of having a massive big business and everything if we don't have tennis? Proposed format, $15 million AMT and ITF futures, challenges and WTA tennis event. $10 million on club, regional and national team events. $5 million on annual finals. Two-week end of year playoffs worth $5 million Qualification based on annual prize money won in the year's program. Format continuous feed-in. Singles $1.5 million for males. 128 draw. Females $1 million. 96 draw. Doubles $1 million. Female $1 million. Mixed doubles $500,000. For the last 30 years, people, when they get to 16, their parents have spent tens and tens of thousands of money trying to trying to be a tennis player and when they get to 16 there is no pathway and then all the friends who are playing other sports they have pathways for financial pathways in their sports to get them to adult level now tennis is a game where people mature heaps later than these other sports and they can't make yep. a living they just leave tennis bill i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to leave you there only because we're running out of time we've got some commercial breaks we've got to fulfill hey listen i think you've made some good points Let's just park it there for a moment. Uh, we'll continue the discussion. We'll certainly, uh, you know, bring Tennis Australia into the picture as well. We think it's a constructive conversation to have. Clearly, there is some disenchantment. We want to see the game flourish as best we can. But I appreciate you uh, airing a few of those views. And, and let's uh, let, let's touch base again sometime down the track. All right. Thanks, Brett. And I really appreciate the chance for the grassroots to finally have a public voice. Good man. Well, anyone can jump on. We're a talkback radio show. Anyone in tennis. I mean, there's a lot of tennis forums and Facebook groups, I read all the passion, will come on the radio and, and, and talk about the game in a constructive fashion and, uh, and uh, there's plenty of people who listen. Uh, the First Serve, we will be back uh, to wrap it all up. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. GLGcorp.com. We uh, wrap up uh, a big uh, Tuesday night. Uh, Grothy, we've got a, just a, a couple of minutes here. We just had Bill McDonald on, a long-time coach uh, out amongst the people. Just un- unpack that in your point of view for me, please. Yeah. Look, and I think everyone's entitled to their opinion, whether you agree with it or not. I, I think there's a few points for mine. $30 million for a domestic competition. You know, the reality is right now, that's a, that's a lot of money and nobody's putting that much into a domestic tennis series anywhere in the world. You talk about people not having the opportunity or being a di- disenchanted at the sport by 16. The reality is, BP, that next week at the US Open, there's going to be 128 men and 128 women who are going there and, and it's getting better, but there's not a lot of people making money from tennis globally. Now, that's not Tennis Australia making that decision. That's the tour. That's what it is. There's not it's not the AFL with 800 spots on a list every year for players. You know, we'd love there to be more opportunity, but that's not the reality in tennis right now. You know, we're seeing Tennis Australia build facilities. We saw a new one opening cans with a roof. Darwin's 
got this new centre. There's money being put back into places. It can't be put everywhere. That that's not it's not reality. I guess. I mean, th- there's a there's a lot to unpack. If you, we don't want tennis to go the way athletics has gone, for example, in this country where it's on the back burner, no one thinks about it, or gymnastics where they're governed internally. If you take a look at tennis in New South Wales, for example, you know they sold White City before. You know, everyone was under a tab or and this governance structure we talk about, they sold White City and made $30 million and were almost bankrupt. Mm. Is that what we want to do? We want to put it back on the, the local clubs and the member associations to go back and having to sell their real estate to stay afloat because that's that's what you start to look at as a reality. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot to pull apart. And look, I certainly wanted to just give Bill a voice. I think everyone in tennis has a right to air their points of view certainly on the game and that's what you know we offer uh, if you want to come on we could you know bill could have just been a talkback caller uh, tonight so uh, we have that facility to do that tennis australia do come in for some you know criticism from those uh, outside uh, the system and that's to be expected but we're going to get out of here thanks to starting from scratch they offer that premium glass repair macker and his team doing a beautiful job starting from scratch.com.au thank you samuel we'll, uh, do it all again very soon appreciate it Subscribe to The First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to the live shows you miss on a Monday night. Plus our weekly themed podcast content, including Aussies Only, Crunching the Numbers, and In the Huddle, produced by Study and Play USA. Plenty of content to listen to weekly. Subscribe to The First Serve, your home of tennis. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.